room. What happens in my bedroom, detective, is none of your business. Bone! Don't ever speak to me like that again. Hi, my name is Madison Malone Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to I See Why Am I. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. We have some unfortunate news. Yik Yak, the anonymous college gossip app. It's back. It's Yik Back. Oh, God, you just had to, you just had to say it, didn't you? <laughs> I did. After a week of teasing on Twitter that it might be coming back, it might not be, uh, the geolocated anonymous gossip app popular on college campuses launched back in, let's say, 2014, 2013, uh, it's it's back in town, and it was, uh, to my recollection, a nightmare if you were a certain age, uh, say, college slash high school, the last time it came around. It was a nightmare, but it was also a dream in that I love gossip, and Yik Yak was the best for gossip. Objectively bad, <laughs> but I ate. As two people who uh, feasted through Yik Yak round one, we'll be keeping an eye on it and uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted. Speaking of eyes, actually, Rachel, you know no, what? I'm not. I was, yeah, <sighs> yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm not actually I'm not going to make that joke. Today's episode is about bone talk, specifically a TikToker who goes by the name at John's Bones. That's J-O-N-S. And has an online store of the same name that sells. You guessed it bones and no that's not a joke you can really go to johnsbones.com right now and buy a femur with a light patina for 260 dollars except you probably shouldn't do that for a myriad of reasons that we're gonna get into but first we're gonna briefly revisit bama rush talk my jewelry normal We got an email from a listener and Bama graduate who pointed out that the school's chapter of Gamma Phi Beta actually offered a bid to a black woman, Carla Ferguson, in 2003. In our Saturday episode, we said that Alabama didn't officially desegregate until 2013. In 2013, that was the year the school finally grappled on the record with the racism of Greek life and the year that more than one sorority offered bids to black women, which this listener actually had some more info about that we also didn't get into the episode, namely the function of fraternities in the exclusion of black women from sororities. The listener wrote, when news broke that the girl in 2013 was dropped from all sororities, a lot of alumni and actives in the sororities represented blamed fraternities for threatening sororities that they would hold no social functions with houses who gave bids to black women as their excuse. They go on to say that, I can confirm that when Carla was initiated in 2003, Gamma Phi was shunned by most fraternities and then became the subject of fat phobic stereotypes for the next decade as fraternities wouldn't openly say their decision to not have social functions with the house was a racist one. Uh, Our favorite word around these here ICYMI parts is nuance. So uh, there's some more nuance for you and boo to sexism, racism, and fat phobia. Speaking of, we really have to- We have to find another transition than that, I know. But speaking of people emailing us, so many of y'all emailed, DM'd, tweeted, sent carrier pigeons about Bone Talk, basically asking some form of what the fuck is going on. This episode and my therapy bills are for y'all. Before we get into... John's Bones. Uh, Just a little content warning. We're obviously going to be talking about dead bodies, bones, corpses, um, and we are going to get into violence and mistreatment of indigenous people and poor folks. So brace yourself. It's it's a a dark ride. So today. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so enter John's Bones. A very Instagram-y aesthetic purveyor of, you know, bones. If you want to drop hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars, John Pichaya Ferry will sell you human remains. Skulls and tibias and hands and feet and uh, can you tell I don't know the names of that many bones? Uh, and, you know, everything on up to full-ass articulated skeletons. For the blissfully unaware, articulated is when bones are connected versus disarticulated, which are just... Floating metatarsals. <laughs> Ooh. It's the only one I know. <laughs> so John of John's Bones is a man who has a room full of spines hung on his walls. This is a man who is obsessed with bones, who says his obsession is purely from a curiosity and educational standpoint. And the man owns a lot of bones. When Madison says a room full of spines, she's not exaggerating. It's literally, think of string lights Except spines on a wall. It, it looks like if you didn't know it was real human remains from real people who had real lives and, and thoughts and feelings, you would think this was some sort of garland of fake bones bought at Etsy to be particularly spoopy. And spoopy it is. Per the website, John's Bones is the leading provider of medical human osteology. We are committed to providing thoughtful selections of human bones for the purpose of educating and understanding. Which, okay, that sounds a little weird if bones are not your thing, but it is full of nice buzzwords. John's Bones has about 49K followers on Instagram, and he is very active on TikTok, where he has 21.3 million likes on his profile and just under half a million followers. TikTok is also where he's essentially been telling on himself and blown up his business into this week's viral internet nightmare. He's based out of New York, a relatively young guy who says he studied at Parsons School of Design and is a product manager by trade. He is passionate about bones. Sure, that that seems obvious in some sense, but that's uh, that's not a substitute for any sort of credentialing, uh, which I'm going to go ahead and assume he has none of, because if he did, they should probably be on the website. He's not a doctor. He's not a lawyer, an osteologist, an archaeologist, a cultural anthropologist. He's just a guy who, according to the About Us story, has been obsessed with bones since childhood and is on a mission to destigmatize. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot. He wants to destigmatize the bone trade. Perhaps the bone trade should stay stigmatized. A thought. So... John Ferry says there are three types of skulls, but that they only work with quote-unquote medical skulls. That's the ones they exclusively sell. The other two kinds are tribal skulls, which are of religious or spiritual origins, and then archaeological skulls, which are found skulls. So the problem with tribal skulls is a lot of these skulls originated outside of America, but now reside in the U.S., and these have been exclusively asked to be returned to their original country of origin. With ossuary and archaeological skulls, we don't know what the individual wanted done with their remains. We don't know if they wanted to be cremated, buried, or what the situation is relating to their remains, and this is why we don't work with those. And now lastly are medical skulls. So these are individuals that donated their bodies to medical science, and they were made to be displayed, studied, and learned from. So this is why, personally, we work with those types of skulls. I hope this answers a lot of your questions, and if you have any more, feel free to ask. On the website, John says that... They do their best to sell them back to the medical community, which is odd, one might say, because I could buy one right now, no questions asked. But 
I feel like the maintaining strict rules about selling only to medical and academic situations probably wouldn't be good for business, but maybe is good for legal liability. That's just a guess, though. <laughs> so when when John talks about the quote unquote medical market and medical bones, those are bones that were prepared and treated in such a way that they were meant to be used by hospitals, by medical schools, by doctors specifically, and they'll have markers from specific companies indicating that's how and why they were preserved. But what John's Bones is sort of skimming over here, it mentions occasionally, but not with enough detail, is that it doesn't necessarily mean the person whose bones those are gave them truly and freely with the intention of them ending up where they have. And what we're talking about is the very nefarious business that is and has been the bone trade a system historically rooted in in classism, in exploiting poverty. In one TikTok, John talks about the places where a lot of the bones they deal come from. And he specifically points out India, noting that a lot of the bones that ended up in the quote-unquote medical market came from people who would be at the bottom of India's caste system and historically would sell or would have their bodies sold by their families into the so-called medical bone trade for money. I mean, you mentioned classism, but specifically Western imperialism, a lot of these bones and skeletons that would make their way from India were sold specifically to the UK, to the United States for the purpose of medical education. But it's an inherently unequal and imperialist structure. There's actually a really interesting YouTube video by this doctor named Rohan Francis, also known as Medlife Crisis, which great <laughs> name. Good. No, he has a really interesting video giving a really phenomenal overview of the history of medical skeletons in the West. In India, processing and disposal of dead bodies was regarded as a low cost job left to some of the poorest members of the community. The promise of some extra cash was a no-brainer, quite literally if a skull had been requested. And soon India, where dead bodies were in no short supply, was the source of most of the specimens coming to the UK, America and Europe. This roaring trade continued at a pace. In 1984, India exported 60,000 skulls to America alone. Calcutta's bone factory's revenue exceeded a million US dollars. The ravenous hunger for bones meant that simply scouring city mortuaries for unclaimed bodies would not meet the demand. The bone merchants of Calcutta headed to the cemeteries and funeral pyres, ready to pounce as soon as the grieving family had departed. We'll link the rest of the video in the show notes, but later in the video, Dr. Francis actually goes to Kolkata and attempts to buy, and pretty much succeeds to buy a human skeleton in 2020, signaling that though this kind of trade and export of human bodies is technically illegal, it's very much still accessible. John Spawn's websites really oversells, in my opinion, that this is about access and education and, and destigmatizing bones. Because, you know, selling a skull for $3,000 does not scream uh, accessibility to me. <laughs> if we were really and truly trying to make bones, human people's bones, human beings with lives and families and parents accessible, they wouldn't cost three grand. Yeah, perhaps we should make them accessible, but also three grand. But also, if they were cheaper, I would be like, what the fuck? I, there are so <laughs> many. Maybe, maybe just don't put a price on human bones. That's my, you know. That's a good takeaway. It sort of makes your head spin. Also making my head spin, and I can't believe I'm about to willingly invoke 
the Tumblr word on this show. Rachel, this has oh all happened before, yes, right? Yes, it has. As soon as this came up, as soon as I saw the words bone talk, uh, I was like, no way. Not again. Not right, again. This is, this is not a high speed download, but it does need to be a okay. fast paced I'm going explanation. Super okay, if you were on Tumblr 2015, you probably witnessed the Grey Bone debate, which was actually set up by a Facebook post. Shout out to Interplatform Discourse. I believe someone was selling bones they had, um, their heavy air quotes here, found at a Louisiana cemetery. And someone then traced the creator of the Facebook post to their Tumblr account, which, love an internet sleuth, the Tumblr account is Little Fucking Monster. And the person who traced these two accounts together wrote one of the most iconic call-out posts to ever exist in Tumblr history. It goes, PSA, Tumblr user Little Fucking Monster is stealing human bones from cemeteries in Louisiana. Please don't let them get away with this and spread the word slash signal boost. Can you imagine being in high school and looking at this post and thinking, what the fuck? Because that's what was happening with me. I was like, what the fuck? This, of course, then prompted both discourse and confusion. I mostly saw the confusion from people who didn't even know there was a bone tumbler, but from witch slash Wiccan slash pagan tumbler, their argument was, there are ethically sourced bones for witchcraft, and the call-out post was just so people knew Little Fucking Monster wasn't an ethical source, not to shame people for buying bones. Meanwhile, everyone else was like that guy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine screaming, BONES! And that's exactly where we all are again today. There was actually a really funny TikTok about this, specifically Tumblr, that is basically my entire internal dialogue. I'd enjoy is my human spine collection. And in the US, there's no federal regulation against the owner. They tried to warn us, the Tumblr veterans. They tried to tell us that TikTok is exactly like Tumblr. And now here we are, the great bone debate yet again. Yet again are we here. Why didn't we heed their warning? Why didn't we heed? Why doth history dare repeat itself? Why do we forget the bounds of history? <laughs> I this do is... think that's what the voice in your head sounds like now. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. It's perfect. Why doth history repeat itself? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a lot of talk about bonership. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a lot about quote-unquote owning bones and we've talked about how there are people like john ferry saying but it's technically legal we actually reached out to john and he rebuked any comparison to the tumblr era bones thief incident he said that he finds that person to be abhorrent and an example of all that john's bones is trying to combat in the industry john also re-expressed much like in the tiktoks we played earlier that uh his business is totally legal and handled with care and expertise we, however, are not experts. Who who would be an expert in this? Like a a lawyer, a scientist? I uh, oh, I believe the official term is a a deschanel. <laughs> Specifically, Emily. I think she was the one of Bones, right? <laughs> yes, she is. My mom loves Bones. Unfortunately, we cannot get Emily Deschanel for this show, and she probably wouldn't have been that helpful. But you know who was. Tanya Marsh, a professor at the Wake Forest University of Law who specializes in 
funeral and cemetery law. And she'll be with us after the break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So... First, it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community, which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. Gay rights, now! Gay rights With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. <laughs> and activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. Okay, so we are back. And like we mentioned, we uh, we found a friend. We called an expert. So today we're talking with Tanya Marsh, a uh, professor of law at Wake Forest University, who uh, specializes in funeral and cemetery law. Professor Marsh, Tanya, welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. So the first question is a very obvious one. Is it actually legal to straight up own human remains, to own human bones? Okay, so your question includes several questions or, or several points. Let me so let me start with this stuff things we can touch, right, are divided into two categories, legal categories in the United States, property and people. 
property is, you know, there's intellectual property and things you can't necessarily touch, but anything tangible, that's all property. But human remains and human organs fall into this weird gray area in between property and people. They have no legal status. So that's important to note because I can only own property. But then I think the second question is, okay, are there laws that either expressly permit us to possess these human skeletal remains, right? Or are there laws that expressly prohibit it? And there are a lot of laws that prohibit uh, much of the activity surrounding the possession of skeletal remains. I feel like I should be taking copious notes right now. Well, there will be a quiz. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, going from kind of the abstract of what the law says to the specific of johnsbones.com. When you saw this thing, situation that we sent you, what was your immediate thought? And this is obviously a big question, but is this legal? (laughs) Is this legal? So um, I think he makes a statement that there's no criminal, there's no federal law that prohibits what he's doing. That's that's true. That misses the super important point that federal law has pretty much nothing to say about human remains. It's state law. And there are a number of states where it is expressly illegal to possess human remains. But the but the bigger issue is that it's illegal to get them in the first place. Right. Where did they come from? Grave robbery is illegal in every state. Abuse of corpse, reducing a body down to skeletal uh, remains is illegal in every state. So where did where did these remains come from? Right. The thing is, this is not the only person who's engaged in this activity. This is commercial activity. These um, human skeletal remains are in the market. They've been in the market for a long time until just a couple years ago. You could buy them on Etsy. You could buy them on eBay and some of those larger kind of marketplace uh, sites. But now the activity has largely been pushed to Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Okay. So you mentioned. The 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 real question here is how does one get these bones in the first place in the United right. States? And what John's Bones says that it does is that it is locating skeletal remains that were articulated for medical purposes, and then, as you said, transacting as they would say, selling them back mm-hmm. into the market. Yeah, but I mean, those were once living people, right? So what I'm saying is there has never been in the United States a legal process to take a deceased human being and turn them into skeletal remains. So, so now we kind of move from the area of legality to the area of ethics. John's Bones seems to be using the kind of idea of the medical market as a way to get around the morality and ethical quandary of it all. But as you're saying, medicine has historically been fine with dehumanizing people and using their remains in the service of teaching, but that doesn't erase the question of where the origins of these bones are. Right. I mean, I would be amazed if anyone who's actually engaged in medical study today, outside of, you know, the Muter Museum in Philadelphia, where this is really their niche, right? But it used to be you had doctors in small towns that had an articulated skeleton in the corner. Well, guess what? They also didn't have the internet, 
right? So they couldn't like look up which bones were located where on a person if they needed that information. So that skeleton is actually of some use to them. We're a little past that now. So the idea that people, that a lot of medical professionals are using these for legitimate reasons, I think is a little naive. I mean, these are, these are things that some people like to collect, right? And display. And I mean, and I would also say that people who are um, really flagrantly advertising that they have these collections of bones in their houses, um, et cetera, are running a risk. There are a lot of criminal laws that a county prosecutor, if they got a hold of some of this stuff and realized that that person was in their jurisdiction, you know, I would advise a client. <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> risky thing to do. You know, the dead in the United States have a right. The dead, once you are dead, you have a right to be buried and for perpetual undisturbed repose, right? You can't go into a cemetery and dig up a grave. And so why should these anonymous bodies, right, that have been reduced to skeletons be afforded so little respect when the mainline view of the law is to afford bodies great respect? That's the disconnect that I think um, the law probably hasn't grappled with enough, but I think there's enough there that a county prosecutor could make somebody's life really difficult if they wanted to. So from a layman's perspective, any fully articulated skeleton you see is not really supposed to exist. There is no legal way for it to exist in the United States. There is no legal way for it to have been created in the United States. Okay. This has just been a fascinating conversation and explaining why half of the terms used on this TikTok from selling to medical market are all (laughs) lies. They're fake. They're not real in the eyes of the law in this country where they're doing business. Well, a lot of people do a lot of things. (laughs) It's also funny to me that you brought up this idea that John's Bones is effectively telling on himself on the internet by making all of this content because that's that's how we and the many people who also tagged us being like, please talk about this. That's how they found him because there were two specific instances. One is that he appeared to be selling the skull that John's Bones was claiming was of an indigenous person from Scandinavia. And the second was that he gave this like very chipper history lesson about Well, many of the bones of the medical market came from low caste people in India, as though that made it ethical, as though those people had any sort of real choice in the matter. And he didn't have to do either of those things. My 15 year old who came in here to tell me about this account a couple hours before we started talking, he said there's an episode in which he says he got a bunch of bones from Iran. I have not seen that one, but I'm like, how the hell did you get bones from Iran? And why would you be telling people you got bones from Iran? I don't know. I I, I mean, like I said, there's a bunch of people who are in this business. I have not run into a single person in this business who is not completely convinced that everything that they're doing is legal and ethical, right? We're the ones who have, you know, weird hangups that we don't think it's cool for everybody to have, you know, their shelves lined with skulls or whatever. So, um, but there's a lot of people convinced that they're not doing anything wrong and they are. (laughs) This is a a strange question, but when I keep thinking about looking at this website is how does one even price a human ring? This is not a question I expect you to know the answer to, but just the thought of sitting down and saying, okay, this skull from the quote unquote medical market 
$2,900. Yeah, I I don't know. Before eBay banned the sale of human skeletal remains, I remember I was sitting in my living room on eBay trying to get the prices so I could tell my funeral and cemetery law class. And um, our cousins were in town and I found a set of human ribs, disconnected, unarticulated human ribs at the buy it now price of $14.50. And I almost bought them just so I could go dig a hole in the backyard and bury them. But my cousins were so horrified by the concept of me buying. But I mean, just the, the idea of a set of ribs disconnected from a person at a buy it now price, right? I mean, there's just something so unbelievably crass about that. It's just, I mean, you said this, but it's just so dehumanizing. It, it does not acknowledge that these bones were somebody's at some point and that this person had a life and people who love them. And now you're treating their remains as decor in your home or a hobby. And did they consent? I mean, is that what they wanted to have done with their bones is <laughs> to be on display? I, I just, you know, maybe. And I'm all for people getting to treat their body before and after death, however they want to. If you want to be stuffed and displayed in a museum and the museum wants you, have at it, right? But that's about what the person wanted. It's it's the lack of consent that is really galling to me. Technically, if I go into the Met and see a mummy, that's a dead body in New York and I'm supposed to call the coroner, you know? There's no there's no law that says you can have a mummy in a museum. So we do a lot of things that the law doesn't expressly tell us we can do and the law doesn't expressly tell us we can't do. Right. But there has to be a difference between a mummy in a museum and a guy making TikToks about bones that he keeps in his house. Okay, so Rachel, myself, and Professor Marsh will be taking a field trip to the Met, heading over to the Temple of Denver, and uh, NYPD, please take seriously the women calling about the mummified bodies. (laughs) I'm on board. I'll meet you there. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're going to end this interview before the pop quiz actually happens. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I've been making questions up. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you so much. I'm going to hide before you pull out the scantrons. (laughs) (laughs) That was really fascinating. What a great conversation. I felt like I should have been taking notes the entire time. Had some really good, uh, nice, nice bone videos you got here. Nice bones would be a real shame if something were to happen to them energy that I respected. (laughs) Absolutely. When she said a county prosecutor could have a time with this, I was like, they could And on that note, if you do, for some reason, own human skeletal remains, don't put it on the internet. All right, that is the show. You'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. It's free and the best way to never miss an episode or one of Madison's terrible puns. Please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us. Talk about us at any given opportunity. Send a carrier pigeon to us. In the meantime, while you're finding a carrier pigeon, you can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like bones. And you can also always drop us a note that just says bones to ICYMI at slate.com. Who knows? We might have you on the show.
ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. Our supervising producer is Derek John. Forrest Wickman and Allegra Frank are our editors, and Gabe Roth is editorial director of audio. See you online. Or maybe at the county prosecutor's office. <laughs> I haven't called you bitch once on this podcast, and you saying that, that was an involuntary action. <laughs> when you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So... First, it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community, which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back.